you around here is treated like a god. I mean, how can you ever find out what he could really do? I don't want this to be the high point of his life. I've seen him, the real sad ones. They sit around the rest of their lives talking about the glory days when they were 17 years old. You know, most people would kill to be treated like a god just for a few moments. The Keeping the Nostalgia Live show is sponsored by The Dunk Collection. The Dunk Collection connects sports-minded individuals to basketball-inspired home products meticulously designed to help combat life's most mundane chores. Dirty clothes on the floor? Put a dirty dunk on the door. The Dirty Dunk is the original over-the-door basketball hoop laundry hamper designed to make laundry a slam dunk. Do you have a messy office? Try a document dunk. The original trash can basketball stand designed for those who compete in the corporate arena. You're just one shot away from turning your cubicle into the corner office you deserve. Bath time blues? Make bath time fun with the Scrub-A-Dunk, the original basketball hoop for baby ballers. Attached to the tub and Scrub-A-Dub-Dub. The Dunk Collection, making boring chores a slam dunk. Welcome to Keeping the Nostalgia Alive, the Indiana Basketball Memory Show. I am your host, Billy Powell. Today with me, we have a basketball coach that's not one, not one, just one Indiana High School Basketball State Championship for uh, boys, but two Indiana High School State Championships uh, for the Pike Red Devils. And he also has over 100 victories in uh, three different high schools, which uh, is very hard to do. And I think, if I'm not mistaken, close to 420 Indiana High School basketball victories. And that's Coach Alan Darner. Coach Darner, thank you so much for spending some time with us on uh, and helping to keep the nostalgia alive of this great game of basketball that was from the state of Indiana. Although I do know that you originated from Ohio, and we'll chat about that. But thank you for your time. Well, thank you, Billy, for asking me. I, I appreciate uh you know, you're extending the invitation, and uh, I always uh, like to talk basketball. Even though it's been uh, 16 years since I coached, I still enjoy talking basketball, especially Indiana basketball. Um, give the listeners a little bit of idea. Where where did you grow up at, and and did you play high school basketball? Yes, I grew up in uh, in east what the east central Ohio. It's kind of the uh, Appalachian area of Ohio, uh, very poor area, um, and uh, yes, played basketball there, but it wasn't much, uh, nothing like what it was or what the kids that grew up in Indiana had. I mean, we never had any kind of elementary programs. We never even had any um, junior high programs or anything like that. So um, when I go to Indiana, it was quite different from what it was in Ohio. Now I think they're they're much more advanced there now, but back in the back in the 1960s, uh, it wasn't a very advanced area as far as high school basketball goes. Well, who introduced you to uh, Who introduced you to the game, or who were some of the teams, college, professional, or, or even high school that that you followed, or who who got you started with this game? Well, actually, where I grew up, it was pretty hard to have much uh, interest in, in basketball because, as I said, there it was a, a very rural area. We only had two TV stations. One of them was Wheeling, West Virginia, and the other one was Steubenville, Ohio. So you, you got some uh, West Virginia uh, University games uh, as far as getting Ohio State games. Uh, that would have come in very fuzzy, so you couldn't hardly really see it, only get it on good days. Uh, really, when I went to college, um, I started playing a lot on the uh, on the playground, and I played with some very very good players uh, on the playground. Some players that were in the NBA, uh, college, and so forth. 
and uh, kind of uh, I grew from that. I, in fact, when I really grew, when I was in high school, I was like five foot four. After I got out of high school, I was a 16-year-old senior, and when I got out of high school, I, I grew eight inches and, uh, and, and really got introduced to playing basketball on the, uh, on the outdoor courts in Akron, Ohio. Um, and where there was some, like I said, some tremendous competition. Um, the way I really got started in the coaching, I, I had no plans. I went to Kent. I got uh, my uh, bachelor's degree in business administration with a major in accounting, and I was working for the university in the treasury department. And the person or the family that lived across the hall from us, and by the way, by that time I was married and had uh, three young children, so, um, you know, um, uh, had, to, had to go to work. Uh, that was indefinite. And uh, this gentleman across the hall was a assistant football coach at the University High School in Kent. And we'd go play basketball a lot. And he comes to me one day and he says, hey, we, we need a JV coach at the high school. You interested? And I said, sure, I'd do that. And uh, so I went over and interviewed with the with the head coach and uh, got the JV job. And I just really got hooked. Uh, just really enjoyed it. Uh, really got into it. Uh, started doing a lot of research and a lot of a lot of uh, watching and, and going to clinics and things like that. And uh, actually, uh, after about two or three weeks uh, with the head coach, I asked him if I could have my JV team to practice by themselves. Um, a little bit because he didn't put a lot of effort into it, and I wanted to put more effort into it. But to uh, make a long story short, I had applied to go to law school and had been accepted at Akron University and the University of Tennessee Law School, and my plans had been to be a corporate lawyer, And uh, but really got hooked on the, on the basketball. Instead of going to law school, I went back and got my Master's of Arts in Teaching uh, from Kent State and uh, was fortunate uh, to get a head job uh, I think I was about 23, 24 years of age and got my first head job. And that's kind of how I got started. Uh, who were some of those uh, uh, players that you met on, that you played against on those courts in Akron that, that went on to become NBA players? What, what, what were some of your competition's names there that you played against? Well, the most famous one would be, and he was already in the NBA then, was Gus Johnson. Uh, Gus actually uh, has been inducted into the Basketball Hall of Fame. Uh, he played out there. Uh, there was other players from Dayton and, oh, gee whiz, uh, there was Claude Burden that played in the Murray State in the ABA. Um, there was Goose Davidson, who was a high school legend, that played out there, but I don't think he ever went to college anywhere. Um, there was players from Florida State that would come. It was kind of a uh, um, attraction where players from all over the state would come in to play there because of the competition. Uh, but there was just a number of really, really good players. Uh, but, but Gus Johnson would be the most famous one. And funny thing, I turned on my TV set three or four years ago. Gus has, is dead now. But I turned on, and he was being inducted into the Naismith Basketball you know, Hall of Fame. And Perry Johnson, his brother, uh, was given the uh, you know, speech for him. And the funny thing is, they argued the whole time they were always out there on the court together. <laughs> uh, coach, was when you went to Kent, was it Kent State at that time? And were you at Kent during the uh, turbulent times that were going on? Yes. Uh, it was Kent State University. And, uh, and yes, I was there on May 4, 1970. In fact, that would have been, I was still working for the university at that time and was getting ready to start my, I'd completed my first year as JV coach at Kent State University High School. I coached there two years as a JV coach, and I was getting ready to start in June. 
uh, with my master's degree. And in fact, my first class in June, uh, it was an 8 a.m. class, first day of summer school. And of course, the university had shut down after the shootings. And uh, uh, my class was, I, I can't remember which network it was, ABC, CBS, or whatever, came in to film in our class because it would be the very first class uh, starting back up after those shootings. But we, yes, I was there during those times of, uh, of the shootings. Yeah, well, I mean, what was that? You know, I'm, I'm a history major, uh, so, you know, I, I'm always, I always enjoy listening and, 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 about, and learning about history. What, it, it, was it kind of like 9-11 type feelings that you guys had on campus after that? Yes, well, of course, um, that's right. You wouldn't be old enough to remember those times, but those are very turbulent times in, in the United States. I mean, there was the Vietnam War, which was everybody was very opposed to. Um, there was a lot of uh, civil rights unrest at that time, a lot of racial injustices. Um, you know, so it was during the time of Martin Luther King. It was during the time of the Vietnam War. So it was a very turbulent time. I know someone said to me a few years ago about how it'd be so much harder to coach nowadays than it would have been back when I was started out coaching. I said, you're completely wrong. Because <laughs> back then, I mean, there was just all kinds of political unrest. And uh, as I said, the, the civil rights movement and things like that. So it was a very much, much more of a turbulent time. But, you know, as far as that weekend goes, there's a lot of outside agitators that, came, that come in on those situations. Um, but what happened was on Friday night, the, the um, agitators, I guess you could say from the outside, set the ROTC building on fire. When the firemen came to fight it, they cut the firemen's hoses. They also went down through downtown and destroyed a, a lot of the uh, downtown businesses, breaking out windows and things like that. And I think the National Guard was then called in, and National Guard had just been uh, out for several weeks because of a teamster strike, the trucker strike, um, which you don't have today. You don't have those kind of strikes today that are violent, you know, work strikes. Um, and so they were a very tired group. Um, my wife and I remember walking around campus on that Sunday uh, before the Monday when there was a shooting, and uh, I, I just said to her, you know, when these, these guys are all standing there with guns and you know, if someone's going to going to do something to set off, uh, you know, one of those guardsmen. And I was home for lunch at the time, uh, and I I knew where to stay clear of where the, the the commotion was going on. But when I was home for lunch, I heard the shots, and I still didn't, I thought I thought there was one shot and then a volley of shots. That's what they said at the time, never proven to be true. Um, and I did go back to work, uh, being the obedient uh, worker I was. <laughs> I went back to work, but then we were not allowed to leave because I was in the administration building. We were not allowed to So, 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 coach, you, you, we, we ended there. We had a little technical difficulties, but we kind of ended there with. Uh, uh, you said you were stuck in the administration building and you couldn't leave. That's true. Yeah, I was stuck in the administration building because uh, they, they, uh, the thought was at the time that there were snipers. Uh, that was never later proven to be true, but uh, that was what they thought at the time, and. and 
the next several days you were on, uh, I guess, lockdown where nobody was. We eventually got to go home, but uh, no one was allowed on the streets. Streets were completely quiet. There was always helicopters flying over very low and so forth. That happened for two or three more days before they determined that uh, there was not a sniper or there were no longer snipers. Uh, Coach, tell everybody a little bit about what, how is Ohio high school basketball different from Indiana high school basketball? Well, I think there's very good coaches in both states. Um, I think there's very good talent in both states. Ohio is a more of a metropolitan state, except for where I grew up. But you have a lot of big metropolitan areas uh, in Ohio. You have, um, you know, the Cleveland-Akron area, which is kind of one big, huge area there. Uh, you go over to the to the Youngstown Warren area over in the over in the uh, northeast part of the state, and you go to the Toledo, and you can go on down into Dayton, Cincinnati, and of course there's the Columbus, uh, large metropolitan areas. So you have a lot of large schools. You know, people always ask about the class basketball. Class basketball would work in Indiana, and, and I really liked it. Uh, wasn't sure I would when I came to Indiana, but I did really like it. Uh, because I always coached at a large school too, so maybe that was a was a factor. But it, it wouldn't work in Ohio because there's just such a large discrepancy between the sizes of schools, and um, it, it just would be a much more difficult and it's much larger, uh, much larger number of schools in Ohio than there are in Indiana. But uh, as far as the crowd interest, much greater in, in Indiana, much much greater. As, as I mentioned, you know. I never was in any organized basketball situation really till I got to high school. Uh, and in Indiana, you know, you have your elementary basketballs, the elementary schools play each other, and you have two seventh grade, even though there's just one junior high, you would have two seventh grade teams, two eighth grade teams, an A and a B team. Uh, same way on the freshman level, you'd have an A and a B. And in Ohio, you didn't have all that type. Uh, you just would have your seventh and seventh grade team, eighth grade team, but there wouldn't be an A and a B in the same way with the freshman if there was a freshman team. Uh, and then the crowds would be much larger. You know, in Ohio at the time when I coached there, you know, a thousand, twelve hundred, good crowd. Gyms might seat two thousand. Uh, you come to Indiana and the, and the gyms might seat anywhere from four to nine thousand, and uh, you know you would get at that time, you know, four to nine thousand people. Uh, so just much greater interest that way, much greater interest in, in the newspaper coverage. In Ohio, once basketball season's over, you don't hear anything about it again till next basketball season. In Indiana, there's always articles in the paper, even in June, July, about what's going on in basketball and, and, and various players and things like that. So just much, much greater fan interest. Now, your first head coaching job in Ohio was Medina. Did I pronounce that correctly? So, Coach, was your your first head coaching job in Ohio, was that at Medina? Did I say that correctly? Uh, you said Medina correctly, but no, that was actually my third job. Okay. My first job, my first job as I said, I, I you know, right out of uh, college getting my master's degree, 
I started applying, and I got this job, and I think I got it basically because nobody else wanted it. <laughs> uh, you know, basically how you do it is if you're the you have no experience whatsoever except a couple years of JV coach. But I went to Malvern High School, which is uh, again in the Appalachian area uh, of Ohio, and uh, I think there's probably about 70 boys in the high school, and they had one winning season in 21 years. Um, and we, my second year there, had the second winning season, I guess, in 21 years. So I guess it was they had won in 20 when I first went there. But we had our, the second winning season in 21 years. But that was the first place that I went. But it was a, at that time you had A and AA basketball in the state of Ohio. And we were a Class A small school. But we played some of the best uh, Class A. Our league was was the best Class A league in the state. We had three teams ranked in the top ten in the state, and the only reason the fourth team wasn't ranked in the top ten is because they lost to the top three ranked teams. Um, but uh, I had a coach, uh, I had a school in that uh, in that league, uh, Indian Valley South, had a coach named Charlie Huggins, who was a legend in Ohio. Um, and uh, the first game we played against them, my team got beat by 50 points in the JV game and got beat by... 50 points in the varsity game. Got beat 82-32. I remember the score. And Charlie afterwards said to me, you know, kept apologizing to me. And he had a, has a son that was a pretty good, real good basketball player. In fact, he's player of the year. You might know his name, Bob Huggins, yeah. who's the coach of West Virginia. And uh, his son was a great player, but he only played in the first and third quarter and uh, still beat us that bad. And he's apologizing. I said, hey, you should have played your son more. I said, he didn't blame enough. I said, no reason to apologize. And the reason I say this is because later on in my career, sometimes we beat teams pretty good, and people always got upset. When I got beat bad those first years, I never got upset. I just tried to figure out how to get better. And Charlie says to me, he says, well, if I can ever help you in any way, let me know. I said, well, you run this camp. And he ran a camp in eastern Ohio, and he got tons of kids from all over to come in there. I said, let me come work your camp, and let me learn. And he says, fine. So I would come to work as camp, and it was way out in the in the sticks. Uh, Charlie lived in a double wide. When you think of Bob Huggins today, just remember he used to live in a double wide <laughs> growing up. He had about seven brothers and sisters. Charlie was from West Virginia and couldn't make much money in Eastern Ohio from coaching basketball and teaching school. But um, I went and worked as camp, and at his station, he had a station where he always brought in kind of uh, an outside coach, high school coaches. He always brought in high school coaches. And uh, and anyhow, there would be each day would be a different coach would come in and work at a particular station. And I said to him, I, I want to work at station. I want to hear what these guys have to say that come in. So I learned a lot in that station. I would just, I, I I wasn't one that wanted to talk to coaches about plays and things like a lot of coaches uh, today want to do. I wanted to hear how they taught things and why they did it this way. That was what I wanted to know. And uh, Ed McCluskey from Farrell, Pennsylvania, uh, was very old at that time. He was legally blind. His wife would have to drive him over. But he would come run this station, and he would teach at this station his rule offense. He coached at Farrell, Pennsylvania, which was a steel mill town, a lot of tough, hard-nosed kids. But he ran a very deliberate system, and he called it the rule offense. Well, I had a, a, an offense I used at the end of games to hold the ball. 
You know, like you're two minutes to go and you've got a seven, eight-point lead and you want to hold on to the ball. Uh, and I ran similar to that. It was part of it. He had several different things in his rule offense, but I, I, I used that my whole coaching career, and I learned that from him at that 13th station. And I'm watching West Virginia play about three years ago, and all of a sudden I look at the TV set, and Bob Huggins is running the rule offense <laughs> <laughs> from 50 years ago. Uh, and Bob, of course, Bob was, uh, when I worked at the camp there, he was in college at West Virginia at the time. Um, and things so and I, and I, there was another coach who worked there and you know sometimes it doesn't have to be a famous coach that you learn something from but I had another coach come in there and he he did things a little differently as far as transition defense you know the the, the standard thing and still is today you know get two to three people back on defense and his thing was I crashed the boards with four and a half guys uh, in other words I send four guys to boards and I want that fifth one at the foul line uh, he says sometimes you give up a uh, a layup the other way and it looks bad but he says i kept statistics on this and he says we might score six times on offensive rebounds and we might give up two layups so he said i gained four buckets eight points and i really like that and that's the way i coached for the next 30 years of my life we always sent everybody to the boards uh did not worry about getting beat back on a fast break first thing we wanted to do was go to the boards tip it keep it alive and if you do that, you prevent the other team from fast breaking, even if they finally do get a hold of it. And, you know, you give up a bucket or two here and there, but you trade the, uh, all the offensive rebounds. So um, that first job at Malvern, I was introduced to Charlie Huggins, and, uh, and, that was, uh, you know, and, I, and I learned a lot from the people that came into that camp and worked that camp. And what led you to your next job? Okay, well, next I went to a, to a Dubway school. I guess there was three classes at that time in, in Ohio. I said A and Dubway. I think there must have been three. I went to a Dubway job over on the uh, Ohio River over near Pittsburgh, actually, but it's in Ohio. I went to Steubenville, and that was a steel mill town at the time. I went to coach at Steubenville Catholic, and uh, I coached there for two years. We won a sectional there, um, kind of a thing of um, – it's kind of funny there when I got hired uh, at Steubenville Catholic, athletic director who was the football coach, and this is a huge football area. Uh, he told me, he says, and I don't know if you know much about Steubenville, but it's um, it's uh, little had some ties to organized crime. Uh, <laughs> always a lot of gambling in Steubenville. And he told me, he says, it's not important whether you win or lose the game. It's important whether you beat the spread. <laughs> <laughs> And, and he and he was right. Uh, at at noon hour every day, there would always be one coach in the school designated to go down to place all the bets for everybody at the at the gambling place. There were several gambling places in town, and there were little candy bar, cigar front stores, and you would go in there and open up the newspaper, and there would be the betting lines. Uh, or if you went down to Mingo Junction, you go into a place there, and there was no rules in Mingo Junction. They're, they were just up on the wall, the betting lines. And uh, and all these people that ran the gambling places were all part of our boosters at Steubenville Catholic. So, wow, <laughs> it was a. Uh, it, it, but I tell you what, they're the most knowledgeable sports people I've ever been around. Uh, you know, Jimmy the Greek uh, is from Steubenville. Uh, Jimmy Snopolis <laughs> was his name, and Dean Dean Martin is from Steubenville. Dino Crescetti was his name. Um, so that gives you a little idea about what Steubenville was like but those people were extremely knowledgeable i mean they could tell you if montana was playing idaho in football that idaho had won the last three homecoming games against montana or something like that <laughs> i mean they knew 
little games like that that you would have no idea on, they would know because that's what they did. They gambled. <laughs> and then from there, I went to Medina. And, stayed there for nine years. And, and tell us, and, and tell us about your experience at Medina. Well, it was it was a great experience. Um, and all three of these jobs that I took over were basically jobs where they had lost about everything. It was kind of a rebuilding. It was the same thing at Medina. And uh, we ended up um, being pretty good. But we had uh, we Medina was kind of a suburb of, of Cleveland and Akron. Um, but uh, but it had a small town. It had the, 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 the square and everything of a small town. But it was growing. And it was a, a triple-A uh, school at that time, a 3A school. And uh, uh, we played in a suburban league of Cleveland. Uh, we were the one that was kind of out of the area and had to travel all the time. Um, but I tell you, I learned one thing I, I learned at Medina, and this is another difference when I was mentioned a while ago, is facilities between Indiana and Ohio. Indiana, you know, seems like every school has two or three gyms. Um, in Ohio, you would have basically one gym. And when I was at Medina, um, they had one gym, and they had just built a new one. It was a nice gym, but they made it kind of a multi-purpose. And on one deck, we had wrestling. And on another deck, you had gymnastics. And then on the main floor, you had basketball. But we had freshman JV and varsity boys, freshman JV varsity girls. You had three to nine to get your practices in, so each boys had three hours, girls had three hours, and of course you had wrestling matches, and you had gymnastic uh, meets, and I don't know if you've ever been to a gymnastic meet, but they take a long time, <laughs> and, uh, and and so you had to really learn to schedule, and everywhere I've ever been, I always great cooperation with other coaches and with the you know with the girls coach always. And we'd sit down before the season, the girls coach and I, and we'd map out the whole season, you know, as far as when we're going to practice. Um, and But the thing you had to learn to do, you had to learn to really utilize your practice time. And one thing, I hated, I hated that gym for the practice time, but it made me a far better coach because I had to really learn to budget my time into do a lot of my drills in combination. I, I do a lot of drill work. We try to break down. We always try to break down everything a team could do to us offensively and work defensively against that, and break it down into drills. But and and the same thing. We worked a lot on fundamentals on offense as far as dribbling, passing, shooting, things like that. But I learned to com, uh, combine my offensive and defensive drills together uh, because you know for part of the practice I'd have. Freshman on one basket, JV's on another basket. We'd be at the other half court, and then there would be times when we would have full court. So I really had to learn to really uh, coordinate and um, and and try to get as much into my practice time as I possibly could, and so that made me a, a far better coach. And when I went there, I don't think Medina thought of of uh, playing in the you know the big time as far as the the metropolitan schools, the Cleveland schools, the Akron schools, and things like that. In Ohio, you were allowed to scrimmage, uh, and you could have, I don't think there was any limit on the number of scrimmages you had. I think later on they did put a limit on it, and they did put a limit on the time. But you could scrimmage, and what I did was I started calling up all these big-name schools, big powerhouses, hey, you want to scrimmage? And I got a lot of yeses. And so we started taking our kids out to, uh, up to Lorraine to play different places. We'd go up to 
Cleveland and, and scrimmage Cleveland State Ignatius, which is probably the all-star team of the west side of Cleveland. We'd go scrimmage Cleveland St. Joe, which is kind of like the all-star team of the east side of Cleveland. We'd go scrimmage Akron Central Howard, uh, which was the all-star team of Akron at that time in Akron. If a, a school offered a certain class that other schools didn't offer, then you could say you wanted to go to that school. So they they were always the basketball powerhouse. They finagled around to get all the good players there. And uh, and eventually, we uh, there was a uh, gentleman that put on um, a, a, a um, scrimmage at Cleveland State every year. And in fact, he did it for three weeks, and we, they bring teams in from all over the state. Cincinnati Alder was a powerhouse in Cincinnati at that time. Kettering Alder was a powerhouse in Dayton. Toledo Scott was in Toledo. He'd bring all these teams in from all over the state, and there'd be there'd be uh, nine, ten teams there, and you would play two quarters. Well, at first I tried to get into it, and the guy kept telling me no. But as our team got better each year, pretty soon he says, "Hey, I got an opening. You want to come?" And so I went. We went one Saturday, and we played all these powerhouse name schools from all over the state. And uh, we did very, very well in that scrimmage. Uh, uh, you know, you play Cincinnati Elder, they might play you 1-3-1. You play Toledo Scott, uh, they had a coach that just really got after his players. They were an inner-city school. They played hard. They got after you full court, so you'd be facing that type of team there. Uh, you were just facing different kinds of situations every two quarters. And so eventually our players got to thinking they could play with anybody. And, and we could. We proved it in these scrimmages. And then uh, my eighth year at, at Medina, we um, we had a good team. We were 17 and three regular season, but in the I think three games in the end of the regular season, my best player, uh, about six five, went in for a dunk, which none of my players had ever dunked before. But he had a breakaway, went in for a dunk, came down and tore his ACL, and he was our leading rebounder and our leading scorer, and he was our first actual Division One player ever there and he was already signed to go to Kent State so we thought our season was was really kind of down the tubes but um, our players and we only had six players that was the thing when we lost him we had five <laughs> and when I say only six yes we had 12 on the team but there was a huge <laughs> drop off between six and seven and uh, we ended up uh, going to the state um, and actually the funny thing was is all these teams I mentioned about scrimmaging and the uh, and the what would be the let me have to stop and think what would be the it was a district finals in Ohio but it would be the the uh, regional finals in in Indiana we played Cleveland St. Ignatius which we had scrimmage for the last several years and that year and then in the finals of the of the uh, regional which would be the semi state in Indiana we played Cleveland St. Joe which I had just mentioned a little bit ago and then in the state uh, tournament, we played Akron Central Howard. So all of a sudden, we're playing all these teams that we had scrimmaged uh, along the way. And uh, the one thing that helped us that year, we'd always had to go to Lorraine uh, to play in the sectional district. And that was another thing in Ohio. When you're in a metropolitan area, you would have like 18 or 20 schools in your sectional district combined. And they would seed four of you. And then you'd play down to four winners in the sectional and then two and then one winner in the district. And uh, we'd always, unfortunately, had to go to Lorraine Admiral King, and uh, uh, they always could beat us on their court up there. We played them in the district finals. We played them in the sectional finals. We finally got them on a neutral court because, the, because it was played at Kent State, the uh, regional. 
and they were ranked number one in the state and uh, had a top player in the state, and we beat them in that in that particular game. So, and there was a lot of um, a lot of good things that came out of that. There's some stories I could tell you from 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 the, those games uh, on that state tournament trail. Uh, tell tell me about the game where you guys were down about twenty, which which uh, I, I'm assuming in from Ohio. That's probably you, you, you. I would assume that's probably your best coach game where your team came back and won. And I think it was in the in the tournament. Yes. Um, well, uh, we played Cleveland St. Joe, uh, which they said was kind of like the all star team from the east side of Cleveland. Cleveland St. Joe has always had a huge history of um, of tremendous athletes. I mean, Clark Kellogg is from Cleveland St. Joe. Uh, Mike Golick uh, that played in the NFL. I think his brother played in the NFL. And you even hear Mike Golick on the Mike and Mike show talk about Cleveland St. Joe and wh- how many great athletes have come out of there. He's from Cleveland St. Joe. Desmond Howard, Heisman Trophy winner, he's from Cleveland St. Joe. Well, we're playing Cleveland St. Joe. And, of course, like I said, we had scrimmaged them earlier. But they've got seven Division One players, five Division One basketball, two Division One football. And when I say football, one kid went to West Virginia and was a starting quarterback. Uh, the other one was an offensive lineman that went to Michigan, the two football players. And then the, the backcourt uh, was a player named, his name at that time was Kelvin Edwards. He went later by Kevin Edwards. But he went to Big DePaul in Chicago at that time, which was a powerhouse at that time. We're, we're going back now to the early 80s. And um, and the other guard was Stan Kimbrough, who went to Xavier, who was very good. Both of those guys end up in the NBA. Stan Kimbrough's kind of in and out, you know, one of those guys, 10-day contracts, in and out, that type of thing. But to Kevin Edwards, he went on and played, well, I think, 10-plus years in the NBA and ended up with a double-figure scoring average. I think he played for the New Jersey Nets at that time, and I think he played in Miami, and, uh, and he had a long in, NBA career. And the other three guys uh, all went Division One, and they had, uh, you know, it was more mid-low major Division ones, And they had tremendous size on us. And I said, as I said, I had five guys. Um, I, would, I, I kept my same six man because I liked the fact he could always come into a game and make something happen. So when the player got hurt, I started another player who was seventh, eighth man. But I would then bring that six man in a couple minutes into the game, and then we'd play those five guys the rest of the way. And... We played a lot of one-three-one zone at that time. We were not a big, we were not a big team. We we're not a fast team. Uh, our biggest player was about six-four. Another player was about six-two, six-three. Had a couple little guards about five-nine. But uh, the six-four and the six-two guys were good players, good shooters. And um, so we're playing Cleveland St. Joe. And, and the statistics after the games, if you look at the rebound charts, they were like sixty-five to forty. The rebounds. I mean, they just played volleyball on the rims with us. Um, they, they got like 70-some shots to our 40-some shots because they just got so many offensive rebounds. And we're down 60-41, to 41 with, and it was a minute 29 to go in the third quarter. And we're playing at Kent State. And at that time, they didn't have chairs in front of the bleachers. You sat like in the first couple rows of your bleachers where your bench and then fans sat behind you. And we had, we had acquired a, a pretty good following by this time. And... Uh, um, so anyhow, we're down 19 points, and all of a sudden, this person behind me, up behind me, yells, Garner, get off your ass and do something. <laughs> and, you know, so I, I stood up. I don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> 
I took a couple steps one way, and I walked back, and I says, what do, what do you want me to do? And the whole crowd just turned on this guy because, you know, our fans knew what we had done so far was, was amazing to be at this point. You know, we're, we're one, way, one win away from the state tournament. So they kind of really turned on him. Anyhow, I said to myself, you know, we've tried everything in this game. I'm going to go to one last desperate thing. We're going to pick him up full court. So we picked up full court. And we cut it to 60-49 to at the end of the third quarter. We got a little run, that last big run in that last minute, 29. And the fourth quarter, we just dominated. And But, I mean, it was a slow uphill climb to get back in the game. But it's kind of like uh, the closer we got, the faster they shot. Um, even though they had two NBA guards. But uh, uh, we got back into the game, and I think we took the lead 71-70 with like 15, 20 seconds to go. Our, 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 we had a 6'4", six, 6'5", six, guy inside. He ended up being about 6'7", but at that time he was about 6'4", six, 6'5". Six, Jay Peters, very good player, had great moves inside. And uh, he scores, and I think he ends up with about 30 in that game. And we go up 71 to 70. They come down the floor, and I think they took a timeout. And Kevin Edwards, kid that plays in the NBA for years, he drives the baseline. I'm thinking he's going to score. Whistle blows, and they called him for stepping on the end line. And uh, we then got to get the ball in bounds with four or five seconds to go. We get the ball into Jay Peters. They foul him. He goes down, makes both free throws. Uh, so it's 73-70. There's no three-point shot in that day, in that game, you know, at that time. So we got the game won. And I stand up, get up on top of the bleachers, and I'm looking for that guy in the stands. <laughs> <laughs> and all the fans are yelling, "He left!" <laughs> <laughs> you know. And uh, and I mean that was an improbable win because I mean there's no doubt that you know. I had two guys that could play for them, but they were much better all the way down the line with their seven, eight guys and what we had with ours. But uh, we ended up going to the going to the state tournament then. But in that first game of that same tournament, we beat the number one ranked team in the state, Lorraine Admiral King, who I said had always given us trouble beating them at their place. And, uh, and I played five guys that game, and, and they subbed ten guys in and out, which I think actually hurt him because he was playing some guys he doesn't normally play, but he was trying to wear us down. And I'd always been on our players, you know, and this is something I did in coaching, was always play as hard as you possibly can. You should have nothing left when the end of the game comes. I, I read an article by Joe Dean Sr. one time that talked about Joe D. Jr., who I later on met. But he was talking about he went to watch his son play a tennis match, and when the match was over, his son had lost, and he jumped over the net to, to congratulate his opponent. And after the game, Joe Dean Sr. said to Junior, I'm really mad at you. And, you know, Junior says, why? Because I lost? He said, no, because you had enough energy to jump over the net. That means you didn't play hard enough during the match. <laughs> and uh, and I always told that story to our players. And uh, so anyhow, at Kent, where we just beat Admiral King, just and what did, we got a decent lead on them, like probably 12, 15 points. And we just held on at the end because we were worn out. We were completely exhausted. And uh, I would save timeouts towards the end of the game and try to use my timeouts at the end of the game to give our guys rest. Anyhow, after the game, I got a couple radio TV interviews to do, getting off the floor. And at Kent State, you had to run upstairs to your locker room. So I'm taking those stairs three or four steps at a time afterwards, you know, running up there, and I'm expecting to hear the locker room just going nuts. 
I get up to the locker room, and you thought we just got beat by 30. <laughs> uh, I walk in there, and everybody is laying on the floor. The five guys are sitting on the floor. The other guys who didn't play are sitting on the benches. And I said, what's wrong? We just won. We just beat the number one team in the state. We're going on to the, we're in the final eight now. And all of a sudden, I feel a tug on my pants. And Jay Peters, who had probably about 30 in that game, too, tugs. He says, Coach, we're too tired to celebrate. <laughs> <laughs> Coach, was it the same season also? Were you later on vacation? You told me a story about when you were later on vacation, and you were either at a gas station or somewhere, and someone started talking to you about Medina basketball? Yeah, that summer after we, after we went to the state, um, I'm going, we're going, my wife and I, Diane, we're going to Florida. We're going to take a little vacation, and we stopped at a rest area in Georgia. It was really busy. And I come back out, you know, from going to the restroom, and there's this guy standing there by the car. And, and in Ohio, the license plates had what county you lived in. And so it says Medina County on it. So this guy standing there, and he's looking at the license plate. He says, hey, he says, uh, I saw Medina High School play uh, Cleveland St. Joe this year in that regional final. He says, were you there? And I said, yeah, I was there. And he <laughs> said, I took my boys to it. I thought it would be a good game. He says, that was unbelievable. never seen such a comeback. And So we're talking back and forth, and he doesn't recognize me, and I don't, <laughs> I don't say anything to him. And pretty soon he says, he says, he says, just that coach from Medina, he says, he did something I just don't understand. And I thought, oh, boy, you know, here's going to be a critical statement, even though he's been, been bragging about him, about Medina. But I thought, here's going to be something critical. He says, he says, that coach did the strangest thing. He says, he's got these two small guards out there. They never brought the ball to the floor. His biggest guy brought the ball up the floor every time. And he says, you know, their team was pressing him the whole time. He says, he brought it up. And then once he got it up, he'd give it to those small guards and go down inside. I said, I wonder why he did that. Well, I thought for a second. Of course, I knew the answer, and I said, maybe it's because he was the best ball handler. <laughs> the guy says, I never thought of that. <laughs> maybe we, may, maybe we will be lucky enough for this guy to listen to this show. That would be awesome. That is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, he never. I never told him who I, I was the coach. He never, he never recognized me as the coach. So, and, and I guess that tells you in Ohio that coaches aren't as important. In Indiana, I probably got recognized. <laughs> uh, coach, when does the state of Indiana get involved? When does uh, when? How do you get from Ohio to Indiana? I always came to work um, Bob Knight's camp at, I, at Indiana University. I uh, did that for a number of years. And I always hear all the Indiana coaches there talking about these big gyms and big crowds. And uh, one guy, this day, one time, we're starting watching a game, and he says, look at that player out there. He says, he says that player, he says his dad coaches a high school team. He says, he's really good. You know, was this guy, real skinny, and, you know, he Looked like a really good shooter, though, but watching him play up and down. He said, his high school gym seats over 9,000. Here it was, turned out it was Steve Alford. It was the player playing out there in the in the camp game. And he, I said, over 9,000? He says, yeah. And then he starts telling me about Anderson Wigwam and all these other places and these big gyms. About this time, in fact, I think it was uh, about that year we went to the state, we played in our last game of the year. We played a school, Akron Hoban, Hoban from uh, from Akron, and they had really good team, really what you'd call a really athletic team. Um, 
we ended up beating about 20 some, but they had, I mean, they had some talent on our team. I don't know where you've ever heard of Harry Butch Reynolds or not, mm-hmm. but Harry Butch Reynolds uh, had the world's record for the 400 uh, for a number of years uh, and, and ran the Olympics, got a number of uh, world uh, medals and Olympic medals, and he had a brother, Jeff, and they'd every year run the 100, 200, 400 in the state track meet there and just dominate the state track meet. And so we're playing against guys like that. They're like 6'3". They're not like 5'8 or anything. They're 6'3", and guys can really run. And we got maybe 500 people in the stands. Um, and I thought, you know, I've spent a lot of time working at this, but not a lot of people coming. Uh, as, I, as we went to tournament trail, we picked up a lot more people, of course. But but for a lot of your games, you didn't have that big a crowd. And I'm hearing about this, three, four, five thousand. 5,000. So one... I decided to take a drive to Indiana. I'm going to come to watch Marion play Fort Wayne Snyder. And uh, and I get there at Marion, and the gym is packed. There's 7,500 people in the gym. They got this guy walking around on 10-foot stilts, um, you know, the giant the mascot. And, I mean, there was just a huge crowd. And that's the time when Jay Edwards and Jen, Lyndon Jones and them were playing. And then also I had taken my son, Link, he had gone to a camp at Rensselaer at St. Joseph College run by a guy named Bill Cronauer, uh, and it was one of these like scouting service camps. And Link was like in the seventh grade, eighth grade, and he got you know letters to come to this. So we took him over to, to Rensselaer. <laughs> Amazing thing is Link ends up then coaching at St. Joe uh, years later for four years. <laughs> and and, and uh, anyhow, uh, at the time, I, I stopped in Logansport and Huntington uh, at Huntington North High School and looked at their gyms. Wow, these gy- I mean, their gyms are nothing like in Ohio. I mean, Ohio just has your high school gyms of bleachers, you know, go up 10 rows on each side or something like that. So I'm stopping and I see these big gyms. So I put all this together. So what I decided to do was uh, Anderson, I knew, had three good high schools, and I knew they were in two different leagues. They were in the North Central, and they were in the Olympic Conference. I found that much out. So I ordered a, a newspaper from Anderson. They had two newspapers in, the Herald and the Bullets, and I'm not sure which one I ordered. But I started following teams through the state, and I wanted, what I wanted to do was find out where there was openings. Well, shortly into January... The Highland coach, Jerome Foley, uh, who later became a very good friend of mine when I came to coach at Highland, but he abruptly quit in January right after they played Pike, which is kind of ironic since I coached at both Highland and Pike years later. And um, so what I did was is I, of course, got my information together, but I called Don Smith, who was the athletic director at Highland at that time, and got him on the phone, and we probably talked for an hour. And I knew a lot about the team and who they played and things like that. So they had me come for an interview, and then they were really impressed in the interview because I knew their whole roster. I knew who all they played and, and things like that. Now, this guy from Ohio knows as much or more about the team than people from right here in Indiana. And I ended up uh, getting the job, and, and we moved to Indiana. Coach well, Anderson Highland. What was that? Was was it hard to to, to leave Ohio? Were, were you? I mean, was it was it an easy decision to make? It was an easy decision. Yes, it was not hard at all. No, it was not hard at all. It was a very easy decision. My daughter Kim. I had one daughter who had just graduated from high school that year, uh, so it wasn't tough for her to make the, the move. My my oldest daughter Kim, who was going to be a junior in high school, and 
was starting on the varsity uh, and was starting shortstop on the on the uh, softball team and also was a starter on the boys varsity soccer team at uh, and where we were and and so it was, it was tough for her you know she didn't want to leave Link was like, let's go. <laughs> These big gyms and things. He wanted to go. And then our youngest son, Tig, was just in grade school at that time. So that was pretty easy for him. But no, I mean, we were, exci- we were excited to come. And, and uh, so I come to Highland. And, and the, actually the second game, first road game I coached at Highland was at Marion. And that was when they were on, that would have been the season when they won their third straight state championship. So I'm coaching at Marion against Bill Green. There's 7,500 people there, and ESPN is even there, not to do the game like they do today, but they were there to do highlights on the game because Marion was a number one ranked team uh, in the country starting out in the USA Today poll that year. And so here I am a, a year or two before watching one of their games, and, and then here I am coaching against them in this ball game, and we actually gave them a heck of a game right down to the wire. Uh, before we got beat uh, coach did you have one of those uh the movie hoosier moments where when you got to anderson from ohio that you know welcome to indiana basketball uh, I, I guess probably the and this wouldn't be necessarily like a hoosier moment uh but it was something we, our third game of the year was in the wigwam against madison heights and I remember people telling me when I did my, they had the press conference, and they was asking me what kind of crowds you get in, in Ohio, and I'd say, you know, well, we get twelve, fifteen hundred on a good game, you know, things <laughs> like that. And they go, oh, we get more than that for the B game. You know, they used to always call it the B game in Indiana. Now they call it JV, but in Ohio you call it a JV, and in Indiana you call it a B game. I never knew what the heck they were talking about, B games for a while, but um, he said, we get more than that to the B game. Well, of course, Marion had a huge crowd that night, but we go to the Wigwam, and uh, uh, you know, for the for the JV game, there's probably uh, you know, wigwam seats nine thousand. We probably had seven thousand there that night, and probably three or four thousand for the JV game. And all of a sudden, uh, and you sit on the baseline at, at the wigwam at that time. And all of a sudden, one of the Madison Heights players goes down the lane and slams a dunk. And I thought, wow, this is pretty good in a JV game. <laughs> 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 So what kind of what kind of teams did you have while you were at Highland? Oh, we had good teams. I mean, uh, uh, we uh, played in the Olympic Conference. Olympic Conference at that time, I think, was a very good conference. Probably was the next to the best in North Central, maybe. But we played. Uh, uh, I think Noblesville was in it. Carmel, uh, Huntington North, uh, Connorsville was spread out a lot. Jay County, uh, Muncie South, Muncie North. Madison Heights, uh, Anderson Highland. It was a very highly competitive uh, conference, and and we did very well in that conference. I don't ha- I don't know exactly how many times we won it, but in the nine years there at Highland, I'm going to guess there were several times that we won the conference. Um, but you know, all those places drew good crowds, good coaches, and uh, and had a lot of good players. And then. Non-conference wise, we always scheduled five teams that were in the North Central, which at that time, of course, was the best conference. And you know, we play, of course, we played Anderson, but we played Newcastle, Muncie Central, Richmond, and Marion. So we played five of the best of the North Central Conference. And then we'd go up to play Fort Wayne South. It was a good team in the Fort Wayne. We'd go down to New Albany, or you know, or they come to us. And then we go. We played out of Indianapolis. We played Pike, uh, played Cathedral. 
Um, so we played a heck of a schedule, and uh, and I ended up being the winningest coach in in, in Highland history. Uh, I don't know if that's, that's a great achievement or not, but there's some pretty good coaches that coach there. Bob Fuller being one of them, and uh, uh, you know, so we had we had a very good run. We got to the semi state uh, in '91. Um, we uh, we played uh, Gary Roosevelt with Glenn Robinson. Uh, Glenn would have been a Junior, yeah, junior that year, I think. No, maybe he was a senior. No, he was a senior that year. He was a senior. By the way, we played Verbuff too, which had Alan Henderson. We played them that year. Anyhow, we uh, we got beat in a very close game. We led the whole game. The score was only in the 40s. Uh, Glenn always told Link that he says your your dad just held the ball, but we didn't hold the ball. Uh, we played pretty good defense, and they played pretty good defense, and neither one of us could score a whole lot, but. Uh, we had a one-point lead with about 20 seconds to go. We're in the one-three-one, and their player over on the far right sideline, in front of the Brownsburg crowd, who was also in the semi-state, he walked three different ways. He walked, he slid his foot one way, he changed pivot feet, and he slid his foot back the other way. And the Brownsburg crowd has 2,000 people signaling, traveling. Of course, they didn't want to play. Uh, you know, play uh, Gary Roosevelt. They wanted to play us. <laughs> and anyhow, they didn't call it. And uh, Ron Heflin, the coach at Roosevelt, calls a timeout, knows he got away. Lucky there. And then they come back out and they throw the ball into Glenn. We had three guys around him, and we had a couple guys of decent size. And he hits a tough shot at the elbow uh, right before the buzzer and beats us. Uh, and they go on and play Burbuff in the uh, state championship game. And that's why I said we played Burbuff that year, too. And Burbuff beat us on a shot at the buzzer by Alan Henderson the regular season. So we always played good teams, and we were always very competitive. And more often than not, we, we, you know, we won the games. You know, Coach, you, we, we talked about your move from Ohio to Indiana. Uh, uh, take a few minutes, and, and, and I think most people know, but I, I want people to know a little bit more about them. But uh, uh, tell us about your uh, children. Well, oldest daughter is Amy. Uh, Amy did not play sports. She was in the band. Uh, you know, not everybody has a lot of athletic ability, but they have other abilities, and she was good in music and things like that, was in the band. Um, Kim was our, our, our second child, uh, and uh, as I said, she played multi-sports, uh, and, and when she came to Highland, she, there was no soccer at Highland, so she couldn't play that, but as I said, she played on the boys' soccer team in Ohio. And she played uh, basketball and softball, and her team, first year at Highland, was state runner-up. Uh, they got beat by Noblesville, who was a really good team that year, but in this first game of the state, they beat Fort Wayne Northrop, who had won the state the year before and had a 51-game winning streak, and they beat them, and I think Kim had 18 points in that game and had a big three-point play right late in the last 30, 40 seconds to kind of seal the game. And they made it back to the semi-state her senior year and then had a couple injuries on the team uh, in that game and got beat. Um, and then she went on to play, um, and she was a very good shortstop in softball, too, as I said. And then she went on to play basketball at Indiana State uh, for all four years. And then Link was our third child. And, uh, of course, uh, you know he ended up, I think, averaging 25, 26 points a game his junior, senior year. Uh, at 53 points up at Fort Wayne South in a ball game that we got beat uh, in, in overtime. So we needed all 53 of those that night. In fact, we could have used 54. And uh, uh, he made the Indiana All-Star, and he played on the, um, at that time, AAU was starting to get big, not as big as now, but he played on the national championship team 
uh, that year. In fact, down here in Florida, beat a Florida team, and on that was um, Damon Bailey and, and Eric Montross and Matt Waddell and, and, and players like at the Allisons uh, that went to Notre Dame and the Allison Twins. And then he went on to Purdue and uh, and played at Purdue and was captain both his junior and senior year. He was captain with Conzo, played with Matt Painter. Matt Painter was a year ahead. Um, and I think he was the first junior to be named captain uh, by Gene Cady. And then our youngest son, uh, Tig, who was five years younger, um, or maybe four years younger, I guess, in length, uh, he also became an Indiana All-Star, had a very, very good senior year, uh, probably averaged 24, 25 that year, and um, went to Appalachian State and ended up starting there all four years and I think ended up scoring like 1,300 points for his career there. The main thing I'm most proud about the three of them is they never missed a game, and this is hard to do, uh, never missed a game in high school or college. Uh, they played in every game. You, know, you can you can have injuries, you can have illnesses, and you can have coaches' decision not to play. You know, and they played in every ball game, high school and college. All three of them never missed. So you know, not too many people can ever say that, let alone three of them in one family. And, and, and I then Link. I'm sorry. Go ahead. Uh, and I take it that Link was, um, uh, I guess, uh, was it Coach Red Taylor who led uh, his AAU squad? Yeah. Yes, yeah. it was. Yes. Yeah. That was a powerhouse team. I mean, that was a, that was a loaded team. Um, and then, of course, Link went on uh, into coaching. As I said, he coached at St. Joseph there in Rensselaer, uh, which is an extremely tough coaching job, I think. <laughs> but uh, his last year there, they were ranked number two in the country and won 30 ball games and won that uh, that league. Um, the GLAC, I think, what it's called, the one with. Uh, Southern Indiana and, and Bellarmine and, and the University of Indianapolis. That's a really a good Division II league. Um, and they won the league and won the tournament. And then he went to Florida Southern and coached there for nine years and won the national championship his last year there and is now at the Wisconsin Green Bay in the Horizon League. Uh, so so where, when you guys were sitting around when uh, uh, Link comes about, where, where did you get the name Link? There was a show on TV called The Mod Squad. Um, Have you ever seen the reruns? Oh, yes. Okay. Mod Squad. There's a a black guy in there with the big afro, and his name was Link. And the the guy that was their captain or whatever, the white guy that that was the captain uh, over them, you know, because there was the the Link, and then there was a lady, and I think another guy. Mm -hmm. Anyhow, his real name was Tig. And that's, that's how we got the two names, Link and Tig. <laughs> that's awesome, man. That's awesome. <laughs> and I always thought both those names have a ring to them when you're introduced. You know, Link Darner, there's a, there's a Tig Darner. And, and nobody ever calls them Darner. Everybody calls them Link or Tig because, you know, their names are just so, uh, you know, so different. <laughs> so, so, Coach, when, when uh, are, are you kind of bored at uh, at Highland? Are you? Uh, did Pike come after you? How did how did that work out? Well, we'd always played Pike. Um, I always thought the two most physically talented teams that we played against each year were Anderson High School and Pike. Pike had in the late eighties. I mean, had tremendous size, tremendous players. Um, they had, 
you know, I think it was uh, Johnson that went to Indiana State. They had another one named Bernard, and the last names escaped me. Went to Evansville. They had the Rutland. They had uh, well several players there that were just very, very good. And they said Anderson was very good. And um, I don't know what you want to say, bored, but yeah, I needed a challenge. I, I always, when I coached, I needed another challenge. And Pike had gone down from what they had been. They they had gone down. I think the last year they had won seven games and were. were I know they started four seniors uh, and had maybe some other seniors on the team. And Pike job opened. And uh, while it doesn't didn't have the fan draw and things like that 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 Highland did, but I also knew that Anderson schools were. Uh, somewhat in trouble and as far as enrollment goes and things like that. Enrollment was starting to decline and things like that, and there was always a talk about closing. So that helped, too. But I thought the Pike job could be an excellent job, and so that's what led me uh, you know, to Pike uh, to interview for that job and to, and to get it. And when you said about a Hoosier moment, uh, this is kind of digressing from what you just asked, but when I went to Pike, the first year, and like I said, the talent had, had been gone down. Their records had been going down, and the uh, the, the talent wasn't that great. And when I, we got out there and started practice, our kids couldn't uh, couldn't dribble. Really, honestly, they they were not good dribblers. They were not good passers. Uh, they were not good shooters. And we spent a lot of time on fundamentals that first year. We won four ball games. Everybody thinks of Pike as always being powerful. We won four ball games that first year. And the main thing we focused on that year was getting fundamentally sound, both offensively and defensively, and learning to play hard. And we did accomplish that. Uh, but if you watched some of our practices, you would have thought you came into the Hoosiers at the beginning where he has them doing all the dribbling drills and things. <laughs> That's what we were doing. We were doing machine gun drilling. We were doing elementary. As I always told Joe Pierce and my assistant, you know, if you walk in here right now, you think we're having elementary practice because we were doing – how to catch the ball, fingers up, thumbs in, you know, <laughs> follow through. We were doing uh, fundamental elementary drills, so that was a Hoosier moment right there from the Hoosiers. Uh, what year did you get to, what year did you start coaching at, at Pike? It would be 95, 96. So in the, mean, in the meantime, you, you've got your first couple years there, and then comes the changes with Indiana High School basketball. What what were your right. thought process? What how did you lean? How do you lean now? Tell us your thoughts on that whole change of the game of basketball, high school basketball in Indiana. Well, as I mentioned to you before, you know, when I came from Ohio, I just didn't see how one class basketball worked. But but I came from a state where there's a lot of large metropolitan areas, and it, and it wouldn't work in Ohio, but it does work in in Indiana. And uh, because Indiana is a more rural state, I mean, you have your Marions and Andersons and those kind, but those aren't large metropolitan areas. Um, and, of course, the interest. You know, so when I got there and I saw, you know, because the thing I couldn't imagine, people told us when we first got there, you know, that they sell season tickets for the sectional. Like, what do you mean you sell season tickets? Well, you've got to buy a ticket and it covers you for every game. Well, who in the world is going to come to a game if their team's not playing? That's what I'm asking. Because in Ohio, once your team was eliminated, then you didn't go back to the sectional. You know, the fans didn't. So I'm saying, well, why? You know, if if Frankton gets beat, uh, why is Frankton going to come to the sectional to watch Anderson play Madison Heights? And I couldn't understand that. But once I was there, I saw it. Uh, you know, they do. They come back. They come back every night and watch, uh, you know, the whole sectional all the way through, even though their team has been beat. 
Uh, so I, you know, I was really sold on the on the class. I, I did not want to go to class basketball. Uh, I mean, there's I don't know that too many coaches did at that time uh, want to go to class basketball. I will have to qualify that and say that I was at a large school and not the small school, though. So I don't know what their feelings were at the small school. But I just thought the uh, the, the class basketball. And, and and when I came from Anderson. Some of your smaller schools around there, like Alexandria. Now, Alexandria is not a small, but they're a very medium-sized school, but they were really, really good. Lapel had some really good teams and some really good players. Frankton did. Uh, there was the three city schools in Anderson and Pendleton Heights that were larger. But the other schools uh, did very well in, uh, in the sectional and competed very well, and, and Alexandria wanted some. And uh, uh, so, uh, you know, I did not want to go to that but they did go to it, and once they went to it, and you know, people blame that on the uh, on the uh, lack of attendance today. I don't really know if that's the sole reason of lack of attendance. I used to say when we used to go to Highland Games or Anderson Games, I tell my wife, you know, the crowd. You look around, and they're all white-haired. In other words, elderly people. And I said, when these elderly people uh, mm-hmm. physically cannot come anymore or are not alive, I don't see the 20s and the 30s coming behind them in the crowd. And, uh, and and so I said, I don't know what attendance is going to be like, you know, once those people are not there to come to games anymore. I think that's more it than anything. I think the 20s and the 30s never got into coming to the games, except for maybe in your very small rural areas. Uh, and then Indianapolis area became much more powerful, and that's a lot of people who have, move in, move out, you know, they aren't there for their entire life. It's not like, you know, okay, if you grew up in Alexandria, you're an Alexandria fan forever. You know, you grow up in in North Central, you move away, or somebody else moves in. You you don't have that same uh, dedication to the school. Uh, The one thing I think when you go to classes now, though, and I will say this, it's much tougher to win in 4A than it used to be. Of course, 1A, 2A, 3A, it's easier. But in 4A, it's tougher because and I used to always hear, that, you know, Lafayette Jeffs won 50-some sectionals in a row. Uh, Marion's won so many sectionals or, or Richmond or whatever. Um, but, you know, you had one big school with seven or eight small schools, and it's always held at the big school's gym. Uh, so naturally they win 50-some sectionals or 50 out of 60 or whatever sectionals. Now – those 4As are having to play other 4As in the sectional. So, for example, and it was always this way in Indianapolis, but when I went to Pike, now all of a sudden we're playing Ben Davis or we're playing Noblesville or North Central or Carmel, the first game of the sectional. Um, and so it's not like you're playing the real small school. And it, that even continues all the way through um, because I can remember years at the at Hinkle at the semi-state, and I don't want to pick on particular, but let's just say Shelbyville or Rushville or somebody like that. I know Rushville won at the one time, but those schools would come in, and their, their record would be very poor, but yet they got to the semi-state because in their sectional regional was all small schools. So I think it becomes very more, or much more difficult to win on the 4A level uh, in class basketball uh, than it was in the one-class basketball. And you know that's that's a huge difference, and to have your team have your game always on your home court is a, is a huge thing. Thirty years of coaching, I only ever played one home tournament game, and, you know, and, and a lot of coaches almost never went away for the sectional. 
I played one home game, and that was my last year at Pike. Uh, the IHSA went to, to playing home games for the regionals, and you would alternate years which district. One year we went to Newcastle when they had that. They only did it for two years, I think. The second year we played Muncie Central at Pike my last year. And so in 30 years, that's including Ohio and, and Indiana, I played one home tournament game, and that makes a huge difference in winning too. You know, I think that's the best perspective that anybody's given in the 125 interviews I've done about, you know, class bas- single class class basketball. That's that I, I, that that's a that, that's something that you want to think about. That's very that's that was good. Oh, thank you, thank you. <laughs> so, uh, so, coach, tell us about you know that first state championship run. Did you did you feel that when those guys were freshmen and sophomores that you had something special? Uh, they won four games. When I went to Pike, um, like I said, that first year, they're fundamentally very poor. And I can remember, in fact, my wife, Diane, was with me. And we had a coaches meeting, and I'm telling them, you know, here's what I expect. You know, I, you know, I, I was always very big on time. In other words, if I said to be, you know, practice was going to be at 3 or open gym going to be at 3, then you were expected to be there at 10 minutes till 3. I was just always big on, you know, I think I did a lot, a lot of things that, that taught my players how to survive in the real world. Right. Um, so one of the big things I had was always be on time and always be there. And if you weren't there, you had to call personally and let me know and things like that. But anyhow, uh, and I was telling the coaches, know this, I expect to be on time, I expect them to come for open gym in the summer and things like that. And they're all going, that's not going to happen. It's not going to happen here. <laughs> they're not coming. Boy, was we, we discouraged because we walk out there. What did we do? You know, why did we come here? You know, and I was bound determined to to change the thinking. And uh, so, the first year, as I said, we taught them to to, to those kind of things as well as the fundamentals. Um, and we did learn to play hard, and we did get a lot better fundamentally. In the second year, between my first and second year, I thought was the biggest amount of improvement. I think the next year we went 14-6. and six. And by the way, the first year we lost in the section was Ben Davis, who went on and won the state. That was during Ben Davis's uh, run there where they won the state a couple years, three years in a row. Um, and, in fact, three of the four teams that were in the state that year, New Albany, Lafayette, Jeff, we also played in the regular season. Uh, so we played our usual tough schedule. Uh, next year, though, we won 14, and we were very competitive. And, I mean, we, we changed the teams around that, with, that had beaten us pretty easily the year before. We now have, are coming back and, and winning a lot of those games. And I thought things really started to change. But after that first year, going back to the 4-16 and 16 season, I took our team to, I think it was a Hoosier Dome, RCA, whatever it was at that time, uh, for the state tournament. Uh, the IHSA would allow the schools to buy a block of tickets for your team. And I took them to the state tournament. The amazing thing that amazed me when I first went to Pike is how many kids didn't know anything about other teams in the state or colleges. For example, uh, Purdue and IU played last night, and we'd ask the players the next day, how many watched the IU-Purdue game? We're trying to get them interested in basketball. We had one guy that watched the IU-Purdue basketball game. Wow. They had no idea about how the state tournament route runs, you know, about sectional, you know, regional, semi-state, state. So we take them to the to the dome there and we're up there and i said to him no we're four and 16 i looked at him i said this is where we're going to be in two years they all had this blank look on the face like who's this idiot talking to us (laughs) but that's the kind of things we started to preach to them about we're going to win the state we're going to do it so next year we went 14 and six or seven after that year yes i thought we had a pretty good chance i thought north central would be our biggest um 
obstacle to winning the state. Um, and we next year then we, we went 30 and one and we, we did win the state. And, um, but we, we, we constantly were telling our players, you know, again, this is just kind of like sideline stories, but that year I kept telling our players, okay, you know, we're going to have to go to, we're going to have to go to Noblesville, the sectional. We got to beat Noblesville. We got to beat Carmel. We got to beat North Central. These are the teams we got to beat. And then we were telling them, and, and Anderson was ranked number one that year. They had gone to Washington D.C., beaten Damatha Catholic, and all that, who was you know always a powerhouse every year nationally. And uh, Morgan Wooten had said Anderson was the quickest high school team he'd ever seen. And uh, we're telling our players this, you know, we're going to play Anderson. We're going to go play in this wigwam. They don't know what the wigwam is, uh, but we're telling them we're going to go play in the wigwam. And um, so we kept telling them things like that, you know, all year long. And uh, and those kind of things, those kind of things turned out to be true. You know, we we go to Noblesville and we have to beat Noblesville, who was ranked number fourth in, in the state. I think they were at that time. The first game, first game of the tournament, got to play at Noblesville, and they're ranked fourth. We're ranked second, and then we got to go play. Uh, and then we got to play North Central in the finals with Jason Gardner, and uh, they had three Division One players on their team. We played them in the, and we played Broad Ripple in the, in the in the second game, and then we played North Central, and now we're ready to go play Anderson in the in the first game of the of the or the only game of the regional at that time. Of course, we got to go to Anderson. So I said we never got to play at home, and. Um, uh, so we go to the wigwam for our practice that week, and we walk into the wigwam into the locker room, and the locker rooms, visiting locker rooms of the wigwam are nothing fancy whatsoever. And uh, so we go in there, and Rodney Smith, uh, who later played at Purdue, was an Indiana All-Star. Rodney Smith looks around the place, and he goes, "What's so special about this place?" He says, "It's a dump." <laughs> I knew he wasn't intimidated. Uh, but I also see when I coached at Highland, I knew things that the Anderson players would do. For example, when I was at Highland, they would always call our players early in the week when we get ready to play in a regular season. You know, they'd call and, and, and trash talk to them on the phone about how we're going to beat you, we're going to get you, and all that kind of stuff. And I told our players that. And... Monday night before the uh, the week of the Anderson game, I get a call from an assistant coach from Anderson who had coached for me at Highland, but he's a he's an ex-player at Anderson. And once you're an Indian, you're always an Indian. Um, anyhow, he calls me up to give me that same trash talk that the players used to call each other. <laughs> and I, we know everything you're going to do. I know what your out-of-bounds plays are. I know that. <laughs> But one thing he forgot about was is that when I was at Highland, we would have two or three players that would be good enough to play at Anderson. After our two or three, you know, those other guys, you know, some years maybe three, some years two, but, you know, your, your four, fifth, six, seven guys probably don't get to play at Anderson at all. And their, their four, fifth, six, seven guys are starters for you, you know, and, you know what I mean? In other words, mm-hmm. they just always had a lot more right. depth of talent. Uh, our first two or three could play there. Greg Gary could play there. Randy Zachary could play there. Brad Ash could play there. Link could play there. Ty could play there. But after we get past those guys, you know, there's not a lot of them that were going to be able to play at Anderson. And uh, But what they don't know is, what he doesn't know when he's telling me all this is, I've got some guys, and by this time, our guys had become a little bit cocky about themselves. They weren't overconfident, but they, they were a little bit cocky. And... So anyhow, I come back and I tell our players that the next day of practice. And they said, a coach called you and trash-talked you? 
I said, yeah. They said, they couldn't believe that. And then I tell them, I said, okay, now, when we get ready to go out on the court at Anderson, I said, there's glass in the, in the, in the there's obscure glass in the, in the doors in the, in the, in the uh, locker room, visiting locker room. I said, their players are going to go by, and they're going to ram, they're going to ram that door hard. They're going to pound on it. I said, and they're going to start doing a chant about the roof's on fire, the roof's on fire. I said, they're trying to intimidate you. So I told them that. Now, they're starting to believe things, I think, that I'm telling them. Anyhow, that night, go back in. Both teams getting ready to come out. They, they come out before us. And right on cue, they, they start banging on our <laughs> locker room door, trying to intimidate us and start that chant. And I noticed our players just kind of had this little smug smile and kind of looking at each other. And so they go ahead and they leave, the, our players leave the locker room. And you have to go down a hallway there. And so us coaches are coming out in the hallway. The players are going ahead of us. And all of a sudden I hear this roar of the crowd. And we took a heck of a crowd to, to the wigwam that year, which they never thought a city school or a school from Indianapolis could ever do that. But we took a heck of a crowd. And I hear this roar. Okay, I get out there and I find out afterwards what happened is our players, remember there was a movie, The Chain Gang, uh-huh. and our players went out two abreast, just like in The Chain Gang, and doing this strut, which I couldn't do, of course, uh, doing this strut and this chant, and they came out on the floor that way, two abreast, doing The Chain Gang. <laughs> and our crowd just went nuts, and the Anderson crowd went stone quiet, <laughs> and so did the players at the other end. I knew everything. I knew I'd, everything I'd tried to get those guys to do, I had accomplished. They were not intimidated or feared no one. <laughs> they were 4 and 16 two years before, and they had no fear of anyone uh, you know, at this time. And we got up on them, and we pressed them. Uh, you know, as Morgan Wooden said, they were the quickest high school team. He hadn't seen us play. Uh, you know, and we got up and and we let them the entire game. We got up on them. They made a run at us at the end, and we held them off and and won the game uh, at Anderson. And of course, it was a nice homecoming back for for myself and and uh, you know in that particular game as well. So. So, so what, what was the feel when you, when you did, when you did win that state championship and, and the first one and, and the buzzer went off, was, was there, uh, did, did you remember what you were feeling today back then? Uh, of course you always feel relief. You feel excitement <laughs> and relief. Um, we ended up, of course we played the dome then, whatever they called RCA Hoosier. I'm not sure which one it was at that time, but we played at the dome and we played, uh, Played Marion. We went on after we beat Anderson. We beat Ben Davis and Lawrence Central in the semi-state. Lawrence Central had a really good team that year, and we beat both of them pretty easy that day in the semi-state. So everybody thought we were just going to walk all over Marion, which I never understood because they were like 24-2. and two. And had this big guy in the middle that had unbelievably soft hands and could, and just a great touch around the basket. And... Uh, uh, and his name was Zach Randolph, and uh, I, I, I said at the time, this guy's pretty good. <laughs> and I turned out to be right, because Zach Randolph's still playing in the NBA, and uh, they also had some other really good players with them. Anyhow, we're playing them, and we're behind most of the first half. I mean, we're down three or four. I got foul trouble. Mike Campbell and Rodney Smith are inside guys. Both have two fouls early. Um, 
we can't stop Zach Randolph from catching the ball and scoring. We all usually always fronted guys. We went to playing behind him. And I ended up having to put Rodney and Mike back in the game with two fouls on because we were getting down too far in the second quarter. We couldn't afford to get down any farther. And we we did get back in. Then I took them back out of the game. Then we got back down to three or four points. But uh, in the second half, then we came out. And I think we got ahead. And then we got behind. And they went to holding the ball. And uh, we went to the 1-3-1, uh, which I did not play a great deal. People thought I played it all the time. But I didn't play it a great deal. Pike, but they went to holding the ball, and we made some great defensive plays. I mean, we got some some steals. Mike Campbell uh, just got steal after steal there, um, and we went down and we got the lead. I think up by one. They came back down, and we're going into uh, Zach Randolph, and Mike stole the ball. Mike Campbell. I think they came back down again, went into Randolph, and he blocked him. And Zach Randolph don't get blocked in the NBA even now, but Mike Campbell blocked him, who was about four inches shorter than him and about 50 pounds less. But anyhow, we end up uh, we end up winning the game. I'm trying to think how we end up. We ended up winning by two, I think. And so we end up getting the ball out of bounds with like one second to go. So we just got to get the ball, maybe a half second to go. We got to get the ball in bounds, a half second to go. And that's the first time he felt like you were going to win the game. And then when it was over, like I said, it was, it was relief and, um, and, and excitement all at the same time, uh, because we beat a really good team that day. Marion went on, Marion would have won the state the next two years, but Zach got into a little legal trouble the next year and was suspended during the, in the section they got beat. And then the next year, um, uh, Marion beat Bloomington North, which uh, with uh, Jared Jeffries uh, in the championship game fairly easily, and uh, but but uh, it, it was a great win over a very very good team. The bad thing was we had to go back and play the tournament of champions the next week, which which took a little bit away from the excitement of winning it at that time. Did you think after winning that first state championship, uh, uh, and, and, and be honest, I mean, was it like, hey, you know what, let's do that again, or did you even have in your mind that you'd possibly be able to do that again? Oh, well, I think, you know, we had gotten to that point at Pike where we we were thinking that we could win the state every year. In other words, that was a thing that we were always with our players. This is who we got to beat to win the state. This is who we got to beat to win the sectional. This is who we got to beat to win the regional. Uh, this is how good we got to be. And uh, like I said, our schedule was so good uh, that we were playing those kind of teams all year long. But that was always a thing: was is this team is really good? We got to be as good as them. We got to be better than them. Did so yes, you, we always came back the next years with the idea of doing that again. Did your did your second state championship team kind of mirror in any way your first state championship team, or was it totally different? Totally different. Um, our first state championship uh, team. Some ways they mirrored, and some ways they didn't. But the first one had uh, had a lot more size. Our second one was not near as big. We we were not near as big uh, as we were in the first one. Uh, the first one we had a lot more size. We were more inside as well as outside. The second one we were more outside. Our two inside guys were sophomores, Parnell Smith and uh, and Justin Cage. Uh, we're sophomores at the time. We won it the second time, and on the perimeter we had Chris Thomas and Keith Borgen and David Teague and and people like that. And uh, so it was. A, it was a little bit more. We always pressed. We always picked up full court. We always ran. The second group was better at picking up full court and running uh, because they just weren't quite as big. That's the way we had to play. And uh, the second was a little bit better as far as getting the ball inside and, and that type of thing. Um, 
our second run, though, to the state, uh, we did not have a close game. We, we started out really strong, and then we had a little lull, which I think most teams do, you know, halfway, two-thirds of the way through the year. We weren't playing real well. We lost a couple. We lost to Lawrence North twice. I think we lost to Bloomington North, uh, who had Sean May at that time. Uh, of course, he goes on to on North Carolina and, and MVP of the Final Four that year for the North Carolina. Uh, but the next time in the tournaments, we, we won every game easily. The closest game we had was in the semi-state to Bloomington North, who had beaten us earlier, and Sean May had like 35. He had like a Bill Walton-type game, you know. I mean, he was like 16 for 18 from the floor, had like 35 points. But we beat him by 13, we're up 14 at halftime. And that was the closest anybody came to us throughout the tournament. Uh, I think we won a couple other games by 18, but in most of those games we were always up. In the Bloomington North game, we were always up. And in the state championship game against Penn, I think we were up like 41 to 19 in the fourth quarter. Ends up being a 14-point game, but it was, you know, it was more of a 20-some point game. You, you know, you, you, I mean, to go out of to be the last basketball game you coached to be a state championship game and put your second state championship in your back pocket. What was the process like? Of uh, did you just ha- did you just want to do something else, or tell us about that process of you know announcing that you that would be your last season at Pike and 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 was that difficult? And and just tell us about that fairy tale ending. Well. Um... Yeah, Al McGuire and I both got to walk off as uh, he did that at Marquette, you know, set up <laughs> yeah, Quentin and, uh-huh. and won. Um, I guess it was a longer process. Um, uh, I'd always wanted to do something else, as, as, I, as I'd said. I like new challenges, and uh, so I wanted to do something else. But I guess faith a lot of times intervenes, and you just feel like it's something you need to do. And I guess I can't explain it any better than that. And I'd have to give you again, I know I have a lot of long stories, but I have to give you another one on this. Um, I had decided to quit. We had decided we were going to come to Florida. We'd always liked Florida. We loved vacationing in Florida. I uh, liked the warm weather. I don't, I don't like the cold weather. And uh, so I decided we we're going to do something else. We we're going to open our own business, open a franchise business, and 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 we did do that. Great Clips is what it was. We opened it up, but I tell you what, I I can't take employees, so we ended up selling, opened three stores, and then sold it within a year. Um, uh, working with employees was too much. I, I I have basketball players, but now you got employees. That's different. Um, but um, anyhow, uh, I just felt like it was time to quit. And uh, I knew I had great teams coming. Our JV team was undefeated that year. We had a group of, uh, of freshmen that were that were dominant. Uh, Courtney Lee was a freshman. Uh, we had uh, who's been in the NBA for a number of years. But I never had any NBA players on my varsity. Pike ends up having a lot of NBA players after me, but not I did not have any ever on my varsity. But Courtney Lee wasn't our best uh, junior high player. It was uh, Robert Vaden was our best junior high player at that time. But. Anyhow, we had uh, we had a lot of good players coming, and I, you know, could have won the state. I thought several times after that, but you know, I guess I was thinking, you know, okay, what does that prove that you win the state a few more times? So anyhow, I just decided to do this. And since I was quitting, I thought I better get. Uh, I had a hernia. I thought I better get that taken care of, and I also had uh, sinus problems, so I better get that taken care of while you got the good school insurance. When they did the my hernia, they went in through the belly button to fix it, and. They come back out and they find out that uh, I have a um, 
an aneurysm in my abdomen. Oh, wow. And they didn't, didn't think it was any big deal. They just said, this is something you probably want to watch, but let's get a sonogram and, and make sure. They did the sonogram, and when they did the sonogram, I knew something was drastically wrong because, you know, the lady doing the sonogram just kept going over and over. And, and I said to her, you know, uh, when will they have the results? You know, you usually get the standard answer three or four days, you know. And she says, are you going home right after this? And I said, yes. She says, call your doctor immediately. So I knew it was serious, and also when she went out the, the doors, I heard her ask if Dr. So-and-so was still at the hospital. Um, so anyhow, long story short on that, I ended up having a uh, aneurysm uh, in my, what they call the iliac arteries, and also coming out of my aorta was all enlarged. Um, coming out of the aorta wasn't as bad, but they said I might as well get the whole thing done, but it was like five times large. And I remember I said to the doctor, I feel fine, because he scheduled me for surgery right away. Um, and I said, doctor, I feel fine. I says, why should I have this surgery? Because he says, you're going to die. Wow. And he says, when it burst, he says, you better be at the operating room door, and there's no guarantees when you're at the operating room door. But he says, uh, you're going to die. He says, I can't tell when, it's, when you're going to die, whether it's going to be this week, next week, two weeks from now, but you're going to die. So that's why, I mean, faith intervenes, and I end up, uh, having uh, that surgery and everything went went great. There was a lot of uh, you know a lot of risk involved in that surgery because they end up putting a, a a graft in coming out of my aorta all the way down through both sides of my abdomen. They took it all out and replaced it all. Um, but if I hadn't been quitting, I wouldn't have had the hernia operation because hernia wasn't bothering me, so I would never have had it uh, at that time. Wow. And so I would have been dead. And that's what I always say to my wife. I say to her years later, you know, boy, I really miss, I should have kept coaching. I should have never quit. And she kept always says, well, but you would have been dead. So it wouldn't have made any difference. <laughs> so, I'm not, so, la I'm not laughing, but I'm laughing. You, you understand what I mean? You, you understand what I mean? Yes, I understand. <laughs> I understand exactly what you're, what you're laughing at. Uh, you know, and she, I mean, she's right. You know, yeah, I could have continued to coach, but it might've been, you know, like I said, it might have been before school was out. It might have been that summer, but it was going to happen sometime. It was five times. In fact, when they told me, they told me just go home, don't do anything. And, and like I said, they scheduled me for surgery. They scheduled me for another scan, and actually ends up being worse in the second scan that they did than the first scan. They had one with contrast and things. And uh, you know, I went through all these things with the doctor about why I shouldn't have this and. And, uh, and I talked to the doctor uh, last year again. It had been 15 years since I had talked to him. I had to call him about something else, and he was amazed. He said, I don't ever get to talk to people 15 years after that oh, operation. Wow. <laughs> I said to him, hey, I'm great. I, I go lift weights every day. I, I play tennis every day, and it's 95 degrees out. I said, I'm in great shape. He said, I don't ever get to talk to people like that. <laughs> You know, Coach, it's probably, it has to be a great feeling, I mean, to know. I mean, you know, not very many people have done it. have won, a, a, you know, more than one state championship in Indiana. It's got to be a pretty good feeling. It's a great feeling. Um, and the other thing that's a great feeling, too, that, uh, that kind of goes along with this, it's not as big as winning the state, but we won the Hall of Fame twice. I won it at two different schools. I won it at Highland, and then I won the Hall of Fame my last year at uh, Pike. And at that time, I was the only coach that had won the Hall of Fame at two different schools. Jack Kiefer had won it twice, and I think he's now won it three. But Jack always had to have a seven-foot center. <laughs> <laughs> but 
but I'd won it at two different schools, um, and, and I mean, there's been many coaches won it, uh, many coaches have been in it. I don't know if anybody's won it now or not, twice, but I won it at two different schools. Um, so I'm proud of that, and I won the, I won the state. And, uh, um, and the thing I, too, was proud of it, at, at Pike, we always had some kids uh, that kind of came out of nowhere, and, and this might be an interesting story uh, uh, too. That after that first year when we were four and sixteen, uh, assistant principal, who was one of the people on the on the panel that hired me, came to me and and uh, they asked me some things. What do we need to do to try to get us really competitive? And you know, one of the things I said was we need to put a weight program in, like Ben Davis, where the kids have a period during school and so forth. And but he also came to me and he says, Hey, he says driver's ed teacher. Says he's got two kids about six four that he's giving driver's ed to right now. That all they do is talk about basketball. And he said, uh, I the driver's ed teacher said, I asked him, do you guys play basketball? And I go, oh, no, we're not good enough. And um, he said, anyhow, so the assistant principal comes to me. And he says, he's telling me this. And I says, uh, I says, well, uh, give me find out their schedules here, and I'll go see them. Uh, later. Assistant principal, says, I got them right here in my pocket. <laughs> he, he pulls out the, he pulls out the uh, schedules. I said, Well, I got to leave my classes. He looks in. He says, They'll be all right. We head down the hall to, the, to these kids' classes, and um, and we we meet them. They're both about six four, six five. And I said to him, Hey, I hear you like to play basketball, and they kind of are embarrassed, you know, that there's a head coach talking to them. And I says, Well, we have open gym tonight. Why don't you come to open gym? They came to open gym, and right away you could tell one of them had some ability. I mean, he had real ability. The other one didn't, but one of them really had good ability. And so they kept coming all summer to our open gyms. And uh, one of them, the one I said had the good ability, he plays JVs that year. The other one we did not keep. He plays JVs, and next two years he starts for me and goes to Ball State on a scholarship, basketball scholarship, Mark Ferris. Uh, he was our starting uh, starter for us uh, on that 98 state championship team and, uh, and, uh, and went to Ball State after his senior year. And wasn't so, and wasn't going and wasn't going to play basketball. He never played before. He never wow. played at any level. Before. Wow. Uh, Mike Campbell, who was on our state championship team, uh, he was a kid that hadn't played. Uh, Parnell Smith, Rodney Smith's father, told me, "Hey, there's a guy on the playground. He says uh, out there, he says he's raw, but he says he he can jump and he's strong." And uh, we got him in, and uh, we had to uh, really sit on him hard, but but. Uh, Mike ended up becoming a, um, you know, he was a starter for us his, his last two years on that state championship team and ended up, actually ended up becoming an NAIA All-American. Um, and then David Batiga was probably the other one that we had that didn't play. We had another one, uh, Williams, uh, that played for us uh, one year, too. He had never played, and he had been in some trouble, and he actually was a year older and ended up running out of eligibility, but he played a year for us. And was really a good kid for us, no problem whatsoever for us. And then the last one I had was David Teague, who would end up playing on our state championship team in 2001 and uh, went on, uh, of course, played at Purdue and has been playing overseas, uh, you know, since then. Uh, but David was one who I think played in the eighth grade, uh, did not play in the ninth, got cut as a sophomore on our JV team, which wow. um, that's a long story. I did not want him cut, but he was cut. And uh, he was a kid that I went and saw after he got cut. I wasn't going to override the JV coach, but I told him, I want you to still stick with it, keep working at it, and come back. And, 
and he came back that next summer and uh, uh, started out a junior year on the JV team. The first JV game against Muncie Central, he got about 28 or 30 points, so I got a lot smarter and moved him up to varsity. And uh, and he ended up, uh, I think, around after Christmas time, uh, became a became a starter for us and uh, averaged double figures. And as I said, then ended up uh, being an Indiana All Star and, and going on to Purdue. And and there's there's a good story with David too. Uh, David, of course, had never been in any tight game situations. We're playing at Perry Meridian. Perry Meridian had a great team that year. They had Andre Owens who played at IU and mm-hmm. then at Houston and then I think for the Pacers. I just saw his name the other day with his three-on-three. Yep, yep. Going. And I had Mike Davis' son was also there. Um, but we're playing at, uh, at Perry Meridian. It's a, it's a tough game back and forth. And I, I think we get a one-point lead with about 15 seconds to go. And David gets fouled. Well, you know, he, I think this might be the second or third game of starting and playing much. And, and – uh, and, and um, the thing, I guess I have to back up a little bit on this. I always had a rule on hair and things like that. It had to be neatly trimmed and things. And David had kind of a kind of an afro, but it wasn't too bad. But this night when he comes in to get ready to go for the bus, David's got his hair in braids. Well, I've never had any player with their hair in braids before. And so I go back into the locker room, and I know it's really quiet. And they're all waiting for me to kind of explode about David's hair, you know. <laughs> and I just look at it, and I, I, I had learned earlier in my coaching career, I probably would have got upset. But I've learned by this point, let's, you know, we'll, we'll deal with it later. And I just said to David, I says, you know, it's fine. I says, you know, but that's fine. Wear it tonight, but, but uh, you know, in the future we won't. And then I asked one of the kids that was leaving the locker room, I says, does that take a lot of time to do? And they said, yeah, and it can be expensive, and it takes a lot of time. I said, oh, okay. So anyhow, we go. We're playing the game. David gets fouled 15 seconds ago or so, and I can see David. You know, I'm afraid he's going to be a little tense going to the foul line. So I call David over, and I said, David, I says, you make these these two free throws. You can wear your hair however you want to wear it. He, he got this huge smile on his face, and he's out there shooting the free throws. Laughing, <laughs> makes them both. We win the game, <laughs> and and he wore it in braids until he went to Purdue, and then they made him get it cut off. <laughs> so uh, sometimes you have to have a little humor when you're coaching, you know, in certain situations. Do you still have relationships with your players, or do you talk to them? Yes, in fact, you know, yeah, I can. There's there's one of my players from Medina from back in the 70s that uh, every year comes to Tampa and, and visits uh, with me and then uh, Jay Peters and, and, and some of the others from Medina I still uh, with and, and Rodney Smith I, I just went to Rodney Smith's uh, wedding over in Cocoa Beach last September and, and there there was Ricky Buckley and, and Parnell there and uh, uh, you know players and, and then I've seen Chris Thomas uh, from time to time. Rodney calls. Rodney usually texts a lot. You know, he usually texts on, on holidays and things. You know, and and uh, but I, I keep in touch with. You know, I don't want to leave too many guys out. But I, yeah, I keep in touch with some of them. Not all of them, of course. You know, when you move to Florida, you're kind of out of the out of the loop there. You know, but uh, but I do keep in touch with a lot of them. And uh, you know, I've gotten calls uh, from guys I haven't heard from for years. I got a call one time from one. He was out in Colorado, and he just called me because he was in management with a major company and he says i just want to call and let you know i appreciate uh, all the things that you taught me and he says i'm not talking about basketball he said i'm talking about other things 
He says, now, he says, I'm in management and I'm working with people under me. He says, I remember a lot of the things and the way how you handled things, and I try to handle them the same way in my management position. So, absolutely, always basketball. Yeah, absolutely spectacular. I, I feel that same way about my former high school basketball coach. But, Coach Alan Darner, thank you so much. We, we went long. We had a couple of technical snafus, and I found <laughs> I found out that uh, I probably would be running laps because I, because I called you two minutes before the interview rather than ten minutes. <laughs> so so thank you so much for your time i think this this is going to be wonderful and everybody is going to enjoy this i thank you so much okay well really thank you very much for having me on i really enjoyed it as you can tell i'm too long-winded sometimes <laughs> <laughs> thank you so much coach okay thank you